Welcome to Tech It to the Limit, the humorous and surprisingly informative podcast that makes digital innovation in healthcare as entertaining as it is relevant. I'm Sarah Harper. And I'm Elliot Wilson. And we're here to pull back the curtain on the world of digital transformation in healthcare. Don't worry, you don't need a medical degree to join in on the fun. Just a sense of humor and a penchant for all things health tech. So buckle up, folks. It's time to Tech It to the Limit. Welcome back to Techie to the Limit, listeners. It's our final episode of the season. Oh my gosh, Sarah, I can't believe it's our last episode this season. This has just flown by. It's been amazing doing this it with you. It has been amazing. It's been fun. This is like a bittersweet, bittersweet time because I won't see you again for months. 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 We don't have a planning meeting no. scheduled already for no, next we never, week. Never talk. <laughs> It is bittersweet only because it's ending, but that just means that we get to plan for next season, which I think is the actual sweet part. Yeah, I love strategy. Strategy sesh with my BFF. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's been so much fun. And we have a lot of great content planned for our listeners on this this final episode of season one of Tekka to the Limit. Not the least of which is our amazing guest that we get to speak to today, Mr. Ed Marks of Marks Advisory. Big get. Big get, yes. Big get. <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time talking to Ed about what's ahead in, in the health tech industry for 2024. So very future-facing conversation with him. Also talked a lot about like what do you need to do within your own organization to get there, right? Right. So thanks, Ed, for joining us. And also thanks for the unsolicited fashion advice. We always appreciate that, especially from a strong dresser such as yourself. Absolutely. You know, and speaking of fashion, I am so excited about what we are doing next, Sarah. Uh, Listeners, you are in for a treat because it just so happens, this is why we did our last episode in December, because it just so happens that right now, going on right now, is fashion week for the health tech industry. So here's what Sarah and I are going to do. Over the commercial break, we are stepping into our teleportation portals that each of us has in our basements, and we are going to head on over to start broadcasting live from Digital Health Fashion Week right in Accident, Maryland, the health tech capital of the world. How excited are you about this, Sarah? I am so excited. You know, this is this is the highlight of the season for business travelers in the health tech niche industry. And I, for one, am going to look swank when I step out of my teleportation portal. Yeah, absolutely. So swank. So excited. And and just for our listeners, if you're wondering, those portals actually do make a choo, 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 choo sound when you step in and out of them. It's really thrilling. So stick around. We'll be right back. Be right back. Do you know how hard it's going to be for me to find a choo-choo-choo sound? I'm so sorry. Hello and welcome back to Tech It to the Limit and to the highlight of the digital tech season, the Glam Tech Runway Show. I'm Elliot. And I'm Sarah. 
Tonight, we're going to witness the latest and greatest in healthcare technology, all thanks to the visionary minds at Glamtech. Glamtech has been the talk of the tech world, Sarah. They're not just designers, they're pioneers, reshaping how we think about technology in healthcare. Absolutely, Elliot. They blend style, functionality, and innovation, making each of their designs a statement piece in the healthcare industry. From reimagining everyday healthcare tools to introducing groundbreaking topics, Glamtech has consistently pushed the boundaries of what's possible. And the best part? They do it with such flair. It's not just about utility, it's about making a statement, creating a buzz, turning heads in the healthcare community. You know, Sarah, their designs are a fusion of practicality and fantasy, sort of like haute couture meets Silicon Valley. It's not just about looking good, it's about redefining the future of patient care. Yeah, and let's not forget their commitment to sustainability and accessibility. Glamtech designs are as much about ethical innovation as they are about technological advancement. That's right, Sarah. So without further ado, let's turn our attention to the runway. Expect to be dazzled, challenged, and inspired. Get ready, everyone. The Glamtech runway show is about to begin. And here we go, the first entrant from Glamtech. It's video telemedicine. Look at that elegance, Elliot. Truly, Sarah, it's like seeing an old friend take the stage. Remember when this was the avant-garde of health tech? <laughs> now it's a classic. Exactly. It's like that vintage dress that made waves back in the day. Not the centerpiece anymore, but still a staple that holds its own charm. It changed the game, Sarah. Made healthcare accessible from the comfort of our homes. But now it's more of a foundational piece than a showstopper. That's right, Elliot. It's reliable, familiar, but it doesn't have the same wow factor it used to. A bit like flair denim of digital health. Essential, but expected. And let's not forget, it paved the way for all the innovations we're seeing today. It's the classic trendsetter that made telehealth what it is now. True, but it's also facing some stiff competition from newer, flashier technologies. It's going to evolve to stay relevant in this ever-changing fashion show of healthcare tech. Well, it certainly has its place in the history of digital health. A respectful nod to where we've been and a stepping stone to where we're headed. Timeless piece indeed. But I'm excited to see what's next. Video telemedicine is just the start and imagine what's waiting in the wings. Absolutely, Sarah. Glamtech is just warming up and we're here for it. Let's see what's next on this runway of innovation. And now taking the runway, we have peripheral devices, oh, smart stethoscopes, handheld ultrasound devices. Sarah, aren't these just the epitome of modern healthcare chic? Absolutely, Elliot. These are not just accessories, they're essentials. They're like the high-end watches and statement jewelry of healthcare. Functional, yet fashionable. Look at the way they blend form and function. It's like adding a designer belt to a classic dress. It elevates the whole outfit, or in this case, the whole healthcare experience. And the innovation. Each device brings something unique to the table. It's like having a bespoke piece that's tailor-made for your specific needs. Wearable art. You're right, Sarah. They enhance the capabilities of healthcare providers. It's like going from a basic look to high fashion with just a few key pieces. But it's not all about looks, Elliot. These devices pack a punch in terms of performance. 
they're revolutionizing patient diagnostics and care. True, Sarah. It's it's like having a high-tech gadget that not only looks good, but also works wonder. The perfect blend of style and substance. And let's not forget how they're transforming patient interactions. It's one thing to look good, but these devices also make the healthcare experience more engaging and effective. Absolutely. Glamtech really has outdone themselves with this line. It's like they've read the minds of healthcare providers and delivered exactly what they needed. Innovative, stylish, and indispensable. These peripheral devices are a must-have in any modern healthcare wardrobe. Well said, Sarah. As we move forward in this digital age, it's clear that these devices will continue to play a pivotal role in healthcare fashion. And here comes the digital front door, gracefully making its way down the runway. Elliot, isn't this just the quintessential piece in digital healthcare? It really is, Sarah. The digital front door is like the little black dress of healthcare technology and the first thing patients wear in the digital health journey. So true, Elliot. It's the gateway to patient engagement, a crucial first impression. Like the perfect opening outfit for a fashion show, it sets the tone for everything that follows. Oh, and the versatility. Just like a little black dress, it can be dressed up or down. The digital front door can be customized to fit any healthcare provider's style and needs. It's the piece that ties the entire healthcare experience together. Mm. Without it, the patient's journey would be incomplete. Much like a fashion ensemble without that key piece. And let's appreciate the simplicity of its design. You know, sometimes the most understated pieces make the strongest statement. And DFD does just that. Elliot, it's also about accessibility. The digital front door opens up healthcare to everyone, everywhere, if they have internet. <laughs> Glam Tech has really hit the mark with this design though, Sarah. It's innovative yet familiar, cutting edge yet accessible. It's the perfect balance. A timeless classic indeed. It's exciting to think how this will evolve as we continue to push the boundaries of digital health. Absolutely, Sarah. DFD may be a classic, but I've got a feeling it's just the beginning of what Glamtech has in store. And now look at this. Oh, the retro revival <gasps> SMS text messaging. Is that a flip phone? It is. It's like watching a classic trend make a triumphant return, isn't it, Sarah? Absolutely, Elliot. It's the vintage leather jacket of health time. Not the flashiest item on the rack, but its comfort and familiarity never go out of style. So true. In a world where health tech can be overly complex, SMS is like a timeless piece that you turn to for its simplicity and reliability. It's fascinating, Elliot. In the push for more advanced tech, we sometimes forget the power of simplicity. SMS is accessible to almost everyone, making it a universal staple in patient communication. And let's not underestimate its versatility. Like a classic white tee, SMS can be used in so many ways. Appointment reminders, health tips, patient follow-ups. It's so versatile. Exactly. And while it may not have the glitz and glamour of new technologies, its, its effectiveness is undeniable. It's the understated hero of digital health. Glamtech has done a great job bringing it back to the runway. It shows that in health tech fashion, what's old can be new again and just as impactful. A timeless revival indeed. It goes to show, Elliot, that sometimes the classics have a staying power that newer trends can only aspire to. Right you are, Sarah. SMX text messaging may be a nod to the past, but it's clearly still a vital part of digital health's future.
Oh, here comes the wearable technology, Sarah. Oh, look at those sleek designs. Oh, they're like the high fashion items of healthcare tech. They really are, Elliot. Stylish, modern, packed with features. It's like seeing the latest trend in the high-tech accessories take the stage. And the potential for patient monitoring and data collection is huge. It's like having a personal health assistant right on your wrist. Absolutely. The kind of wearable that... Oh, wait, did you see that? <gasps> it looks like there was a little stumble there on the runway. Oh, my gosh, a bit of a trip. That's quite symbolic, isn't it? It's like these wearables are walking confidently. But when it comes to integrating with EMRs, they falter. Such a fitting metaphor, Elliot. It's a reminder that in health tech, functionality is as crucial as style. Beautiful designs are great, but if it can't integrate smoothly, it's not ready for the main stage. True. It shows there's still work to be done. But if they can solve these integration challenges, these wearables could be the future of personalized healthcare. With the right adjustments, these could go from a runway trip to a triumphant stride in health tech fashion. Here comes ambient AI documentation, Elliot. This technology is really about streamlining and enhancing the healthcare experience. Absolutely, Sarah. It's like having an intelligent assistant in the background, quietly making everything run smoother. I love how it's designed to be unobtrusive, yet incredibly efficient. It reduces the burden of manual documentation, giving providers and nurses more time with their patients. Like the essential components of a well-oiled machine. On the accuracy, Elliot, it captures patient encounters with such precision, ensuring that nothing gets missed. It's the meticulous detail work that often goes unnoticed, but it's vital. Exactly, and it's adaptable too. It learns and adjusts to different healthcare environments, which is so crucial for a dynamic field. This blend of subtlety and power that makes ambient mm. AI documentation so impressive, it's not about being the most visible. It's about being the most effective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, true, Sarah. It's a testament to how the right technology can transform everyday tasks, making them more efficient and less cumbersome. LamTech has really tapped into something special here. It's innovative, practical, and it's going to make a huge difference in how healthcare is delivered. I couldn't agree more. Ambient AI documentation may not be the flashiest tech on the runway, but its impact is undeniable. And here it is, the moment we've all been waiting for. Oh my goodness. Generative AI. Elliot, this technology is so hot right now. Oh my, absolutely, Sarah. It's like the must-have item of the season. The Mockingjay, if you will, of the tech world. Everybody is talking about it. And for good reason. The way chat GPT understands and responds in natural language is transforming communication. It's incredibly versatile, too. I mean, whether it's patient engagement or administrative assistance, ChatGPT fits right in. The speed and accuracy of its responses are impressive. It's always keeping up with the fast-paced trends in health tech fashion. Glamtech knocked it out of the park. ChatGPT isn't just making waves, it's reshaping the landscape of health tech. It's innovative, user-friendly, engaging, not just a fleeting trend, but a lasting change in how we interact with tech. Mm, that's the key, Sarah. Introducing groundbreaking tech may be on fleek, but making it approachable and integral to healthcare, that's where ChatGPT shines. I can't wait to see how it continues to evolve and integrate into our industry. It's not just the girl on fire right now. It's a glimpse into the future of healthcare tech. 
right you are sarah chat gpt is more than the highlight of today's show it's a beacon for where we're headed And now we have precision medicine. This, Sarah, oh, is absolutely the haute couture of healthcare tech. Tailored, sophisticated, and incredibly personal. It's stunning, Elliot. Precision medicine isn't just about treating illness. It's about crafting care that's as unique as the individual. It's a tailor-made outfit by a top designer. The level of personalization here is unparalleled. Oh, it's about getting the right treatment to the right patient at the right time. Mm, tray chic. And the attention to detail. Just like a couturier selects the perfect fabric and cut, Precision Medicine uses genetic insights and patient data to tailor treatments. Mm, it's a beautiful blend of science and personal care. But it's not yet for the everyday. It's exclusive, cutting edge. It represents the pinnacle of personalized healthcare. So true, Elliot. While it's incredibly promising, the challenge lies in making it accessible to all. It's the future of healthcare, but there's work to be done to bring it into the mainstream. Glamtech is certainly showcasing a bold new vision of what healthcare can become. Precision medicine, when it's readily available, will set new standards in patient care. Absolutely. It's exciting to think about the possibilities as this technology evolves. Personalized healthcare could redefine our approach to medicine. Indeed, Sarah. Precision medicine may be the high fashion of today, but perhaps tomorrow it could be the ready-to-wear of healthcare. Ah, and look what they brought out for the grand finale. Oh, what a fascinating contrast. On one side, Immortality as a service. Ah, a vision of the future. And on the other, (gasps) automated prior authorization. Ah, the practical everyday solution. What a juxtaposition, Elliot. Immortality as a service is so avant-garde, it pushes boundaries and challenges our imagination. It's the concept car of healthcare technology. Not quite ready for the mainstream, but it, it is exciting to think about what could be possible. Then there's automated prior authorization. It might not be as glamorous, but it's the essential item everyone needs. Like the classic trench coat of healthcare. Reliable and indispensable. Exactly, Sarah. I want one in every color. It streamlines the healthcare process, making things easier for both patients and providers. It's not about the spotlight. It's about functionality. This contrast really shows the range of Glamtech's vision. From the aspirational to the practical, they're covering the full spectrum of healthcare innovation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a reminder that in the world of healthcare technology, we need both the dreams of tomorrow and the solutions for today. Oh, wonderful, wonderful show. That was just tech couture, wasn't it? The Glamtech Runway Show truly stitched together the fabric of fashion and technology. Elliot, it was just like watching the latest trends in Paris or Milan, but in Accident, Maryland. Each piece of health technology sashayed down the runway with its own unique flair. From the little black dress of digital front doors to the Mockingjay ChatGPT, it was a collection that would make any tech enthusiast's heart beat faster. And how about that unexpected twist with the wearables? Mm. It was like a high heel snag on the catwalk. 
a reminder that even in fashion, function can't be overlooked. So true, Sarah. So true. Today's show had everything. The classic chic of video telemedicine, the avant-garde of immortality as a service, the prêt-à-porter of automated prior authorization. Ugh, fantastic. Each entrant was a showstopper in its own right, Elliot. Glamtech really dressed to impress and wowed us with their vision of the future of healthcare. Well, as we take a brief intermission, let's let the afterglow of this Fashion Forward Showcase simmer. We'll be back with more runway analysis and trend spotting in the world of digital health. So freshen up your look and stay stylish, viewers. The Glam Tech Runway Show isn't just about walking the walk. It's about leading the runway in healthcare innovation. See you soon for more fashionable insights into the world where technology meets healthcare. Until then, keep transforming that style. Tech It to the Limit is brought to you by Timetamer, the groundbreaking wearable that's changing the game for healthcare professionals. If you've ever been on a shift that's dragged on like a Save by the Bell marathon, Timetamer is your answer. With its patented perceived time adjustment technology, Timetamer makes those endless shifts go by faster than you can say time out. You can conquer that 12-hour shift feeling like you've just breezed through Bayside High. With Timetamer, you can customize your day with Timetamer's time perception profiles. Choose from modes like Speed Shift for when a shift is more stressful than an excited Jesse Spano, or Zen Mode for a more Zach Morris laid-back approach. It's more versatile than Lisa's wardrobe. Exclusively for Tech It to the Limit listeners, Timetamer is offering a free month subscription to Timetamer Pro. Just sign up at www.timetamer.com slash techit. Timetamer does not cease temporal activity. Some users have experienced auditory hallucinations of a live studio audience and constant refrains of friends forever. Contact your physician if you experience involuntary signaling of timeout or soliloquizing to non-existent cameras. Ready to master your workday like a Bayside Tiger? Head to timetamer.com slash techit for your free month of Timetamer Pro. Timetamer. Make your time worth it. Listeners, please welcome Ed Marks, the health tech maestro whose life story reads like a Hollywood blockbuster. Son of Holocaust survivors and first gen immigrant, Ed's career has taken more twists and turns than a mad mouse roller coaster, including scrubbing clinic floors, bandaging as a combat medic, singing lullabies as an anesthesia tech, and wrangling a herd of shiny objects as healthcare technology manager. Ed's industry experience is the virtual holy trinity with stints in clinical environments, business operations, and digital infrastructure, a trio so harmonious it would make Wolfgang Amadeus jealous. Throughout his professional odyssey, Ed has made pit stops at legendary healthcare institutions like Cleveland Clinic, NYC Health and Hospitals, Texas Health Resources, and University Hospitals. Ed's titular fame includes not one, but three C-suite TLA titles. CEO, CDO, and CIO. Not satisfied with mere C-suite fame, Ed now advises executives on digital transformation strategy formulation and execution. He has penned several best-selling books, including Voices of Innovation and Healthcare Digital Transformation. And you can treat your ears to some candy by streaming his health tech podcast, DGTL Voices, wherever you listen to Tech It to the Limit. 
And if all that doesn't make your jaw drop to the floor, Ed or his clone also manages to find time to be a partner, parent, and Team USA triathlete captain. What have you done lately? Be sure to connect with Ed on LinkedIn or X. He or his clone is always up for a virtual strategy consult. Welcome, Ed. May I call you Ed? Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, people have called me a lot of different things, so Ed works pretty well. But uh, Sarah and Elliot, thank you so much for having me on Tech It to the Limit. When I saw it come out, you know, I listened right away because I, you know, I'm an Eagles fan, and so I caught the, <laughs> you know, the corollary to the Eagles. And thank uh, you. I'm waiting for one of you guys to hit the high note, though. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> Only in the shower. <laughs> nice. Well, Ed, thanks so much for joining us. We love to kick it off here on Tech It to the Limit with our guests giving us their favorite dad joke. So what have you got for us? Yeah, so I always try to remind my kids, I have five kids, how great of a life that they've had growing up compared to mine. And so I would always say things like, hey, when I was your age, my my dad always asked me, why can't you be like your brother John? Why can't you be like your brother John? You know, when I bring home my report cards or or I, you know, struck out in baseball, why can't you be like your brother John? My brother John died at birth. You know, so it was it was kind of uh, <laughs> oh my God. Or my, I'd say to my dad, why do I keep going in circles? Why do I keep going in circles? He said, shut up or else I'll nail your other foot to the floor. So, you know, it was a <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a rough life growing up. So don't complain about the life you have. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's like uh, taking the, I had to walk 10 miles to school to a whole to new a, level. A whole new level. <laughs> yeah. Man, you really floored me with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, well, let's, let's pivot and um, let's talk a little bit about your journey professionally, Ed. It started with humble beginnings uh, and, and has ended in becoming a prominent figure in healthcare digital transformation. Really inspiring story. Can you share a pivotal moment that motivated you to pursue a career in healthcare or healthcare technology? Yeah, there was really two, and I'll try to do them fast. The first one, when I was 16, I was in a medical clinic as a janitor, and it was the coolest job ever because it was after hours, three hours of work. So anytime after five, so anytime after five and before 7 a.m., you know, so I gave it a lot of freedom. But I knew, I, I literally knew that I was called to healthcare. I was sweeping and mopping floors. And I just had this sense, you know, and and even though I was listening to Black Sabbath and ACDC and probably some Van Halen in the mix on my Sony Walkman, I just knew, right? And it's hard to explain as a teenager what that means, but that led me on the path of healthcare. I didn't know how it turned out, but that next pivotal moment that put me into the sort of the CIO track, if you will, was at the birth of our oldest daughter, super traumatic. I was working in strategy at the time. I'd already done some stints in anesthesia, now on the business side. And I was helping the IT department with marketing of a great new product that they had where physicians could dial into the EMR and, and, and take care of patients, see all the patient data. And when my daughter was born, it was she was born floppy. And without getting into a lot of details for the sake of brevity, she was going to die. She had three different uh, life-threatening uh, issues. And so they were a life flighter to a children's hospital. But that was you know high risk. And my wife had tons of trauma, and she was hospitalized. So I was like, oh, what do we do? And I remembered, oh, wow, there's this system from the IT people. So we sent an engineer a few hours away to the children's hospital, implemented the software. The neonatologists from that children's hospital were able to consult with our baby's doctors. And lo and behold, she was healed from all three things. And she became this normal person, except for her goth stage when she was 15. She graduated from college at 18, you know. Well, to it be fair, a, you listened to yeah. Black Sabbath on your walk. Myself. I know, I know. I had a, I had a lot of uh, influence on that decision, I'm sure. But 
that moment in time when she was healed, that's when I saw the convergence of those three things, you know, you mentioned in the opening, and that was sort of the operations, the clinical and the digital, all coming together to save lives. And bam, I knew I had to be in healthcare tech. And that's what started it all. That's amazing. What an inspiring story. I mean, that had to be like the fastest software implementation on record. <laughs> yes, seriously. Yes. Yeah, it was just, it was a software to enable the dial-up, right? Back in the day, right. you had to have a modem dial-up, you had to have special software and then, you know, get the permissions to dial in. And yeah, it was amazing. I re I still remember the engineer that did it. Could you imagine doing remote robotic surgery with dial-up? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it was like 2,800 baud modem, I think, at the time. Jeez. Um, yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned the convergence of clinical environments and business operations and digital infrastructure as being sort of the heart of, you know, kind of healthcare transformation. Can you can you delve a little bit deeper into how those different elements work together to improve patient outcomes and and yeah. maybe even add business value? Yeah, yeah, for sure because, you know, a cord of 3 is not easily broken. You know, I do some mountain climbing on the side and, you know, if you just had this one thread it'd be kind of scary because that one thread could break, but when you have multiple threads and they're intertwined, it's super, super strong. You can really trust it a lot. And I think it's the same thing in healthcare with those three disciplines. So we, cause we know it fails otherwise. So take EMR implementations. Remember today we got it down pretty well because we bring the three together. But back in the beginning, we didn't bring the three together. It was just, sometimes it was just business, sometimes it was just digital and it didn't work. There was lots of failures, but it wasn't until we brought in the clinical component and we asked, it seems silly to talk about this now, but we didn't do it back then. We invited the clinicians who this was impacting in, and now we have a whole science of clinical informaticist and discipline of that sort and leadership, and that's what really made it successful. And I think we saw the same thing with virtual care, where not all three things were hitting at the same time, and so it was really sub-optimized. So during the pandemic, we saw a lot of, a lot of technology thrown at you know, trying to take care of patients during the pandemic. And, and it was great. And I'm not saying anything negative, but I but I know in the systems that I was helping through that, uh, a lot of times the operational piece was missing. So they had, okay, we've got Zoom, we've got Teams, we've got, you know, name all the other actual uh, specific vendors for that. And they had the clinicians, but they didn't know how to operate it. So they were still trying to replicate the same old pattern, but virtually. So then we mm -hmm. finally got it together. I think we do. And so now it's starting to work a lot better. So those are a couple examples of why it's so important that the three are cohesive and are working together like that strong, you know, strong rope that I talked about. Yeah, I think your point about the pandemic and virtual care is is so on point. I, during the pandemic, we kept talking to our operational leaders, you know, who kept telling us, well, we need to replicate this in-person workflow. We have to replicate this in-person workflow. And, and well, I mean, right, I agree. I mean, you kind of have to blow up the workflow and yeah. redesign yeah. something completely. But when you are Sisyphus pushing your that boulder up the hill, you know, sometimes you have to make those compromises, say, okay, we'll have to come back to this. And I think that yeah. there are some programs that are still stuck in the workflows that they replicated instead of redesigned even now. Yeah. Yeah. Great point, Ed. Excellent. Yeah, let's um let's talk about uh, you you already kind of addressed one of the challenges that I think a lot of our provider organizations health systems are still facing, which is how do we envision a digital future, right? What do those workflows look like? But given your extensive experience on both the provider and the supplier side, of the industry. What are some other common challenges that organizations face when they're implementing digital transformation initiatives? 
And what would you recommend that they do to overcome those challenges? Well, the good news is everything that I'm going to suggest is free. A lot of times people blame budgets for not advancing. And so I said, I've got your game and I'm going to think of ideas and solutions that actually cost nothing. And so I, I do think the majority of what I would answer, what I would share with you, really doesn't cost anything financially. So you don't have to, you know, go to the CFO or anything. The first thing, you know, since you mentioned, you know, both the, the vendors and the providers is working together in harmony. So don't see each other as a necessary evil, right? So a lot of times we look at vendors, like when I was on the provider side, we look at vendors in sort of a negative light and it's like, oh, they just want to get our money and this and that. And we don't look at them as partners. And sometimes on the vendor side, we've done the same thing. We look at things as, oh, we're going to make some money instead of truly understanding. And so I think if we could come together as leaders and, and start to trust each other, build trusted partnerships, I think it would come a long, long way. And we would overcome some of the challenges because that in and of itself keeps us from progressing. The, the next thing is humble leaders. So within an organization, you have leaders who are worried about their territory. They're worried about their swim lane. They're worried about who gets credit. And I'm telling you, that's that causes so much strife and obstacles within organizations accomplishing things in, in these major initiatives. And, and, and again, I, I can't get too specific on stories because I never want to look negatively upon anyone or any organization. I know we're all trying our best. And so I just speak in generalities. But I know that there's been times where even though we said, hey, this person here is leading digital transformation, other people still have their own agenda and will sort of do their own thing. And so that causes us to sub-optimize whatever we're trying to do. Another one is streamlined governance. So healthcare, for many reasons, takes so long to make a decision. It's really aggravating and keeps, uh, you know, sort of this transformation initiatives from having success. Because the longer a project goes, the higher likelihood of failure. There's a hundred points of no in these organizations. And so what I finally did that really worked, again, all this is free, is, you know, a lot of times we have IT governance and there's multiple layers and it takes months and months of meetings to get to the final decision-making layer. Even that layer oftentimes doesn't have the right people there. So no matter what decisions are made, they're not supported organizationally. So what I did both in New York City and Cleveland Clinic is I lifted the IT governance to be the C-suite because ultimately they're the ones that have to support the initiative. So the CEO in both cases, was my co-chair. So I was the co-chair for the IT governance and the CEO. And then around the table was every everyone on the C-suite. So the CFO was there. So something reached that level and was approved. It was approved and it was going. And the other thing that really helped it give it gravitas and be successful is that everyone knew that one year after they went live, they got approved for a project. One year later, they were coming back to that same group and we we're gonna take what they said they were gonna do and what they actually did and compare the two. So this level of accountability transparency is a game changer. I, I don't understand why every organization does not embrace this because instead they, they push it down and then there's so many subcategories, subcategories that it takes years to get anything done. So that's another one. And the final one is just eliminating this culture of fear. A lot of organizations, they're, they're risk adverse. They have all this fear, fear of failure. So everyone, even though like, I know the three of us were all wired the same. Like we are mavericks in our career. We took chances. We take risks. Then they get to a certain level 
And then they're like a director or VP. And then they're like, oh, I, I don't want to risk anything. And so these people, you always wonder, right? You look at some VPs and say, how the heck did they get here? They got there because they were mavericks and risk takers. But then they got scared. They reached a certain level and like, oh, I don't want to upset the apple cart and I don't want to mess up my career. So as a result, mm -hmm. things get stifled. So anyways, those are four, four reasons and none of them cost money. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, in, in my, I think those are great, but I can say from experience, being a maverick and trying to grow at an organization is sometimes not how you stay in an organization. Yeah. I'll just, yeah. I'll just, sometimes organizations are very quick to, to say goodbye to the folks like that. And what struck me as a common thread throughout all of your points, throughout all those little nuggets of wisdom is, is leadership. It really does start at the C-suite with the kind of cultural tone that you're setting for the organization. And a lot of those, those sort of common issues that you discussed are inherently cultural, right? And, and that yeah. starts at the top. The accountability for the organizational culture and, and the health and well-being of the organization ends with the C-suite. And so I would encourage those that are listening that are in the C-suite to think about, you know, what's the, what's the litmus test for the culture of innovation in your organization? And do you create an environment where people feel like they can fail fast and still rise within the organization, regardless of how high they get? Because I think what you're describing when you get to that VP level is like, well, the stakes are really high now and I don't want to mess this up. I finally made it. Yeah. I'm going to hold on to all my poker chips. <laughs> so I, I'll just, I'll, I'll end with that, that I, I hope that those that are listening that are in leadership um, are constantly assessing and recalibrating to maintain that culture of safety and that culture of innovation because the two go hand in hand. You should hire people, if you're a leader listening, hire people who've been fired. They're yes, the do that. <laughs> yeah, they are the <laughs> ones who are willing to take the chances, to take the risk and, and make things happen, make transformation happen. Of course, if they got fired for something unethical, and that's not what I'm talking Maybe about. Maybe ask first yeah. no, why no, they no, got no, fired. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. It's a good question, a behavioral interview question, maybe yeah. one or two. I wouldn't be afraid. So, Ed, but a lot of these things that you've described are very top-down approaches. Leaders have to learn how to be humble and, and manage humble leadership. Leaders need to cut the red tape and create a streamlined governance. What advice would you give to those directors, to those managers that do want to be innovative and are living through the bureaucracy that exists to expose this non-humble leadership, to, to expose this red tape? What advice do you have to them? Because they do not have authority within their organization to implement some of this top-down kind of things that you're describing. I always encourage people to do what they can within their sphere of influence. I was that person, you know, as a manager and director that was always sort of upsetting the apple cart. I was always like, hey, Mr. or Mrs. CIO, what about this? What about that? Hey, let's try this. And I was always pushing. And I know it's a dangerous proposition for some because some leaders won't necessarily appreciate it. And if that was the case, I would move on to an organization where I felt that was appreciated. But I, I was always sort of that rebel, like, and that's why I tell people, because you have to think about life. Think about the big picture. What do you want to accomplish in life? Do you want to just have a safe job and you make a decent living and, you know, you don't really have an impact? And if that's the answer, that's fine. Then go do that. Hopefully it's not an organization where I am. But if you want to be a game changer, a world changer, a transformative leader, then you've got to be true to yourself and just push the envelope wherever you are. You know, of course, you want to do it smartly, wisely. You know, I think we all know you don't want to throw out grenades and stuff like that, but you want to develop those relationships, build trust, do what you do really well. That, that was always my foundation. It's like, okay, if my job was XYZ, 
I was going to be the best in the organization at XYZ. And that gave me the respect and the trust to then go ABC. And so I always made sure my house was in order and then I would go after the, the other things. And that's what you need to do. Yeah. That's great Thanks. advice. Thanks for asking that, Elliot. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit, talking off of leadership, a little bit more focused on the tech part of Tech to the Limit. We're about to be four years out from the pandemic, if you can believe it, which is just mind boggling <laughs> to me. And we saw the influx of venture capital into technology for healthcare. We saw the accelerated adoption of digital health technologies, especially in virtual care, remote patient monitoring, asynchronous care, et cetera. How do you see the the kinds of technology evolving and the role of technology evolving in healthcare in the next four years beyond the pandemic? And what trends should healthcare leaders be watching in this space? Yeah, I think there's four or five things to really consider. And there's there, I'm sure there's more than that, but just off the top of my head, four or five that might might come to play. One is speed to value. So that that was a common theme. I just returned from a couple of conferences. Once one was chief marketing officers in healthcare, and the other was Chime Fall Form. So the CIOs, you know, all getting together, and it's being about cost neutral, and this whole concept of speed to value. So how do you take cost out of a system? Right, everyone's struggling. I'm on a board of a couple of health systems. I get keen insights into financials, and everyone's struggling. There's maybe. I know of maybe five organizations that aren't struggling. And so what do you need to do? One is you need to help pull out costs and this whole concept of speed to value. So there's different things you can do. Uh, and I call it survival of the digitalist. You got to do these things. One is become agile. So if you haven't adopted agile practices, agile organization, I really believe you should, because that's speed to value. That's like every two weeks, right? You're, you're uh, iterating, you're doing something new, you're failing fast. You're, you're then going into sort of the second thing, which is, virtualize everything possible, right? Move into the cloud, remote process automation, AI, virtual. When I said virtual, this is like virtual sitting, virtual nursing, taking the high cost areas and reducing the cost, Do, doing virtual medical care wherever you can in general. So this is these are different ways of taking costs out, looking at the supply chain, leveraging again, AI to really analyze your, your supply spend. There's a lot of these areas which I think are untouched that I think you could probably pull out 25% uh, of costs, which would be dramatic. But again, because of all the reasons we talked about earlier, no one's doing it because like if you, like just to jump into a real example, the supply chain example with AI, I know there's AI capabilities right now that'll pull out anywhere from 10 to 20% of your supply chain costs. This is millions and millions and millions of dollars for healthcare organizations, but it's not getting done. Why? Well, supply chain owns that. And there's some proud people in supply chain. And if you were to identify the fact that they could have been saving more money for a long time, that would hurt them. But so instead of saying, wow, this is great. Thanks for sharing. Wow, we never saw this before. Let's do it. No, no, it's it's kind of defensive. And it's like, who are you, IT or whoever might be making the suggestion, chief transformation officer? Who are you to come in and tell us our business? So anyways, things are moving. But back to sort of this list of two or three different things. One is a value-based care. That's where we're headed. And so there's a lot of organizations that are that are doing well, that are that are embracing it and trying it. Most organizations, you know what they're doing? They're like, hey, we're still making money fee for service. Let's just focus on that. And then we'll we'll do something when the time comes. I would not wait. I would be very proactive. So that, that's another thing that's coming and what you can do with your systems to prepare for value-based care, right? Virtual care again, taking out cost, 
being masterful with data and analytics. So those are different things. You know, the, another one is M&A. I think there's going to be a lot more M&A taking place. We already see it all the time. So be ready. Again, it goes back to Agile to do quick assimilation. So we had it down as a science where I came from because we did it so much. We finally created our own playbook. So you be, should be able to assimilate an organization in 30 days. Just you need to be quick at doing it. And the, and the final thing, and another ease, another one, I, I was about to say easy, but it's not easy. Mimic your competition, the new entrants that are coming from retail, that are coming from big tech. They are eating your lunch right now, right? If, if we're talking here to, if the listener is from a traditional provider, like a hospital, you're, you're being disintermediated right now by all these new entrants. So mimic them as simple example. This isn't the only thing, but this is just right off the top of my head is your hours of service. And we've been talking about this for 25, 30 years, right? Everyone wants to do eight to five. Well, most people can't see a clinician eight to five means that they have to give up their own work time. So they go after hours. So what does Walmart do? For years, they've been doing this. You can come in at 9 p.m. You could come in on the weekend. It's so convenient. So anyways, that's just a simple example. But that, those are four or five things that we can do, you know, post-pandemic with the trends and how we can react to those trends. No, that's that's fascinating. I feel like we could talk about this for the yeah. rest of the podcast <laughs> episode, but I wanted to ask about your about your upcoming book, Ed. I know you've been working with Chris Ross to co-author a book about your shared patient experience. And I would love to hear how you envision digital transformation playing a role in enhancing the current patient experience. Uh, what what insights can you share from from authoring that book with Chris? Yeah, so we're super excited about the book. You know, the book is actually written for the public. So everything in the book is really to help common people like ourselves, but who are unaware of healthcare and how it works and their families. But in all the research that we did and all the focus groups that we did, we found four or five things I can share with you that are going to be written separately in a white paper, which will come out, I think, at HIMSS for the industry. Here's sort of a high-level summary of what they are. And again, most of these are free, and most of these actually don't take tech. So that was our mm -hmm. findings. So most things don't cost money, number one. Two, you don't need a patient experience officer to deliver exceptional patient experience. You don't need an office of patient experience. We have had many of those things in the past. I, I know for years and years, at least a generation, where we may have not have called it patient experience, we called it ombudsman or, or different things like that, but we had these departments before and we haven't moved the needle very much. So it's okay to have them. I'm not saying don't have them, but in our analysis and studies, we found no difference whether you had one or didn't have one. So that, that, that's sort of finding number two. Number three is tech is never the reason for patient experience, success or failure, but can accelerate either. So tech did not differentiate who was delivering good patient experience and who wasn't. But here's what we did learn about tech. Don't only have a digital front door, as some people call it, but a digital back door. Thank so, you. <laughs> yeah. So we're so focused on that front door that we forget the there's tons of gaps in care after the person's been released. And that's where they need the most support. We're happy because we build them. We took care of them, we build them, but they're having a terrible experience. You know, it's and really so it's really ironic because when I remember having so many conversations around network integrity and how important it is when you have your your layer of primary care to increase your funnel as your front door and then focusing on network integrity of of what you've got behind that, whether that is uh, an ASC strategy or specialist strategy or, or even to the hospitals, whatever it may be, they never deployed technology 
to make that happen. They just relied on word of mouth yeah. amongst their primary care physicians. And you're like, well, yeah. wait, what? So in your point about care gaps and and post-delivery transitions, yeah. post-care delivery transition um, as being challenged, I think that's, well, to put your point on it, digital backdoor is important. Well, one, we all know no one hears what the clinician is telling to you when you're in a moment of crisis or you know finishing your surgery. And then they give you this bunch of paper to meet a min- meaningful use requirement. And they don't understand it. We understand it because we're in the business, but they don't understand it. And they just need someone to hold their hand. In fact, the the sort of unofficial title of our book is treat it like a hand you can hold through your journey because we kind of like fill them in on all these sort of things. So the, the next thing on tech, so this is sort of that third point I was making about tech never being the you know, the necessarily the exact reason for a good or bad patient experience, but can be an accelerator of either is simplicity. So sometimes with digital front doors, and I know the EMR vendors don't like me saying this, but it, it's the truth. Don't have that high of adoption. It's not like 90% of people are downloading the app and doing everything the app says. And so we have to think simplicity. And so sometimes it's a text message, right? Mm-hmm. Most people mm-hmm. do text messages. A lot of people, like I'm an app person. I love apps and I, I and I, it's fine for me, but not everyone is like that. And so if you send people a text message and they can just click on that link and get whatever they need, you know, think about simplicity. And then the final two, so it's really quick, uh, again, non-technical, but huge, is that empathy trumps programs. So maybe it goes with that one I made about the Office of Patient Experience. If you can teach and model empathy to your employees, it makes a huge difference. Because at the end of the day, that's really the interaction you know, that, that makes a difference. It's that interaction with that clerk. It's that interaction with the clinician or the clinician assistant. The personal interaction that gets people to really think about experience because they'll forgive an egregious error if they've connected with you and, and understand your heart. And so we we talk a lot in there about empathy and how to model it and lead it in organizations. That That's probably maybe the biggest one if I was forced to pick one. And then the, the final one is operate healthcare as a service, not a product. And this is what I mean. If you go into health systems today, the revenue cycle person, whoever's in charge, they're going to make sure you have a great front-end experience and ideally a great back-end experience with your, your financials. You're going to have a good check-in process, and they're going to be nice, and then you know, the billing's going to be nice and clear. And then you have the, maybe the clinical area. So maybe you had to get go to radiology, and they're going to make sure the radiology experience was really nice. And then, and then you're going to go to another silo where you're going to have a nice experience. But while you have these vertical niceness, there's no horizontal seamlessness. And mm. so Tris tells the best story because it's so personal about, you know, his his care was so complex. He had to go across multiple divisions. And so he had to call and make an appointment with radiology, which but it had to sync up with what the lab needed and what the mm. other clinic. So he was the person and here, here he is. He's sick and dying, you know, and he's mm-hmm. got the he's got to make it happen. And yes, his was unusually complex. So that's a key point. Operate healthcare as a service, not a product. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's a great use case for AI to to help inform yes. that transformation. Just listening to you talk about your Chris's story, it's almost like we're asking patients to be their own care coordinators. Yes, yeah. yes, and, we and, are. And in the face of. <laughs> And, and we have been for decades, yeah. but in the face of a workforce crisis, we do need to be thinking about how technology 
yeah. how we can leverage intelligence and automation to improve the patient experience and make it more seamless. And I, I'm sorry for the cheesiness, Elliot, but I have to say that when Ed was talking about, you know, empathy, trumping programs and patient experience, I couldn't help but think about the Maya Angelou quote. They may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. I'm paraphrasing here, but it is about creating space for that people connection. And if we can in some cases, take tech away, <laughs> you know, remove tech from the system, then you or, can create more space for or tech simplicity, right? Like you were saying, yeah. um, then you can create more space for human connection. And I think it's not necessarily about taking tech away, but it's making tech invisible, I think is the real need, yeah. right? Yeah. So that it doesn't force something unnatural into the process or into the experience and, and lets that, that kind of melt into the background. The other thing that I would say is that we also have to, at the same time, be mindful in our quest for cost savings and for automation that we don't leave people behind because we will. And Ed, you've been a CEO. What's the number one driver of cost in any organization? Yes, a labor. Right, 100% of the time. And so when we talk about how we can take care of these back office things with tech to make things seamless, et cetera, mm -hmm. that will translate into people losing their jobs. I think we just need to be mindful of how that happens. We know that it's very rare for healthcare organizations, especially to right-size patient-facing roles. They, they don't, yeah. they never seem to get lost and that's fine and that's great and it's important, but where that usually comes at the expense of the back end. So we can't lose sight of the back end people in this process as, as well. I don't know why I felt like I needed to say that. Uh, I agree. So we've talked about the patient experience here, Ed. So um, you've served, you mentioned earlier, you served on boards of various different healthcare organizations. What advice do you have for those leaders aiming to strike a balance between innovation and patient care. Let's put it in the context of today's environment, which is constantly changing, constantly getting faster. It seems like tech is being delivered and innovation is being delivered at an exponential pace. So let's let's kind of just add that little extra element onto the end of it there. Yeah, not everyone is in a position to have an innovation office or chief innovation officer. So there are a few out there that do that. And you know, they do everything from doing some internal innovation to investing in innovation. It doesn't mean though that if you don't have that capability that you can't do something. And like the example with chief patient experience officer, you can do without that as well and be equally successful. So a couple of things I would do. One is look to your partners, i.e. vendors, and see if you can't do something innovative together. They're often looking for a partner to innovate with and they just need a willing partner. And so you should seek out your vendors and see what opportunities you have. I, I do that all the time. And you know, another thing that you should do is you should go visit your vendor partners. So it just so happened, I've done this a couple of times in my career where a lot of our part vendors were on the West Coast. They don't need to be, but it just so happens they were conveniently located together. And so I took out my executives for three days and we visited you know, back in the day, it's just an older example. You know, we went to Cisco, we went to Apple, we went to Microsoft we went to HP, they're all like co-located pretty much. And so, but you know, in one week, we got to meet with executives in healthcare from, from their, and talk from their point of view and came up with all sorts of innovative ideas. So that's, that's a pretty easy one. I've made the same sort of trips up to Madison or Kansas City, wherever that might take you. So partner with someone. 
The next is think about innovation that's it's do or die almost. It's like if you have to innovate or else you will not be existing in the future. So take it very seriously. So one thing to do if you can't afford to have your own sort of innovation center, one thing you can do in addition to partnering is make innovation part of people's job description. So make an expectation that, look, here, here's your job description. And one of the things in it is to come up with two or three innovative ideas per quarter. It could be something as simple as that. And so that starts making innovation part of the culture of the organization. So it's not going to happen in a year. You got to take a long-term approach. But if you start visiting these places and getting new ideas, if you start hosting startups in your environment and seeing you know, what new ideas and maybe opportunities to work together to try to innovate something, if you start putting it in people's job descriptions and maybe making some bonuses based out of it. Another thing you can do culturally, and this, and I've done all the things that I'm telling you right now, is we had our own TEDx. So we had TEDx THR as an example for many years. Again, you have to take some long-term approach, but within TEDx THR, not only were they hearing from outside people on innovation, but we also had a program internally where people could bring up their innovative ideas. There was a contest. Ultimately, they went to the C-suite, the final 10, and they presented to the C-suite who picked the final three. And then they went to the TEDx event where they all presented. And then the TEDx participants voted on which one was going to get funded. And we're not talking about a lot of money here, but everyone knew that they're going to get funded. And I remember that one person in particular who won, she was from the food service. And now today she's some VP of digital at some health system on the West Coast. So that's that's how you do it. You have to just, there's Again, you can't let money be the reason you don't do anything. You just got to do a lot of little things, many of them free, not all of them. And eventually you'll create this culture and and become more innovative. I love that, Edda, especially the uh, sort of the multi-layered competition for staff. And even, I mean, something as subtle as putting in the job description, because then it ties it to the performance appraisal. Believe it yeah. or not, I've actually, I've actually been on teams before, not at my current organization, but where people have said, oh, I don't know about this candidate. I think they're too innovative. And I'm like, eh, where's the door? <laughs> you know, I mean, like. So I do think it sends a really strong signal to to the folks you're trying to recruit into your organization if you bake innovation into the job description and into the performance appraisal. You know, Sarah, what I, what I always tell people as well is like to be innovative, you must be innovative. I always found it funny, and I won't name the health system, but it goes back a few years where we were big in the mobile strategy. So we were known. So we, this was when iPhone had just come out. And we were like one of the first in the country to really push apps and the whole idea of mobile medicine. And and so we were talking about this and I was trying to get funding for some things. And I remember the C-suite telling me why the strategy should be a little different, why this and that. And then I would go on these trips with them and they still were using paper boarding passes. You know, and so I brought it up one time. I said, look, you're trying to define the mobile strategy for our health systems and our patients but you use paper boarding passes. You do not, you even have an iPhone or whatever, you know, might be. So from that on, I was like, I can't be like that because I could easily be like that, like not try new things. So you have to force yourself. If you're a leader listening, force yourself to always try new things in your personal life and professional life, because you can't be innovative if you're not innovative. Yeah, I like that. 
walk the walk the talk, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you, yeah. You can't so, promote uh, it if you don't do it. Yeah, I'm kind of experiencing that in my own field right now, where there's a lot of disruptive generative AI technology. Some of which we're developing internally to the organization, and others we're partnering with our vendors to bring transformation to our organization. And there are, you know, subsets of users who are really kind of just waiting for that approved license to fall in their lap. And, and I'm thinking, you're going to be out there experimenting with it and not necessarily with PHI or business confidential information, but use it in your personal life. Like, so your boarding pass example is, is excellent. It's like, yeah. where has transformation already disrupted an industry? You should go there, right? Yeah. And, and, and start using the yeah. tools and building the skills so that when they arrive in your organization and they've, they've made it through all the red tape and the bureaucracy, you're ready to run, right? Yes. There's a lot of opportunity to start educating yourself um, about AI, even if your organization isn't using it yet. To, to just add on to that, right? using it in your own personal life. I mean, so if you are still handing out business cards, yes, you are doing something wrong. Yes. <laughs> yes. The trees still hate you. <laughs> I mean, yes, you know, it's exactly. it's funny, but like there's still people out there handing in business cards, but like without even having, I don't care whether you use a regular QR code or you use the built-in functionality in LinkedIn, whatever it is, move yeah. on to something else. Yeah, it's like, it's like, again, I make people mad, but that's sort of my history a little bit. And I don't mean to make them mad. I just push buttons to try to get pe people to think differently. It's like we would have people, CIOs, and I saw a lot of them at Chime. They still dress the same that they did 20 years ago. <laughs> they, they have the same ties, you know, and it's like. The real wide it, ones <laughs> at the bottom. I mean, come on, you know, like, have you not. Clothes have gotten a lot more comfortable wardrobe? over the years. <laughs> It's like, I don't get it. It's like, and, and then it makes me think, I really do think this way. It's like, if you're still stuck 20 years ago with the way you dress, hmm, I wonder how stuck you are in everything else. And that's why I try, try new things, try dressing differently, uh, whatever. I could go on and on, but yeah, I think you mm -hmm. get the point. But still, stay away from plaids and polka dots. They clash too much together. Oh, man, I love plaid. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, 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 no. Individually, they're too. fine. Yes. Yeah. Individually, <laughs> they're fine. But okay. some rules will never be broken. Okay. Black socks. I'm going to end with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ed, we've got one final question for you. You've had a, a multifaceted career professionally, personally. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences in the U.S. Army, your passion for Team USA triathlete? How have these aspects of your personal life maybe shaped your approach to healthcare transformation, healthcare leadership? Yeah, I think one thing that's really important, I learned this probably in the Army more than any place else, is mind, body, and soul, that you need to exercise all aspects of who you are as a human because you have to have endurance. So if you just pick on the physical side for a second, it's hard. The, the role of a tech leader, especially in healthcare, it's hard and arduous. Uh, so you've got to be fit, mental fit, physically fit, spiritually, for whatever that means for, for people. And so think of yourself as a whole person and take good care of yourself. That's the point. Get sleep. Get the mental health care that you need. All these different things, because I think we tend as leaders to ignore those things. We may talk about how important it is, but don't do it ourselves. And then we run into problems. So I just remember that training in the military and how important it was, you know, because we were put under very stressful environments and you always had that foundation to lean back on. And same as a healthcare CIO. Wow, I went through some pretty stressful situations and I was always to lean 
lean on that. So really think of yourself as an athlete and train and eat and and uh, drink responsibly uh, in that way. The other things that I learned, you know, are, are just obvious ones. And Sarah and Elliot, you are all really good at this. And this is having uh, being a servant, being a servant leader and looking to pour yourself out into others and helping others. And, and the rest will come to you typically if you follow that. And then is having vision, which generates passion and energy. So it's like, you should have a vision for your life. I've always had, uh, I learned that, yeah, in both, you know, like if I take, uh, if I go to Team USA example, you know, I always wanted to be an Olympic athlete and it just didn't happen for me, but I had this opportunity to train with Olympic athletes if I could make this team. And it's like, well, I can never make this team, but I put out this vision, like I'm going to make that team. And I remember 10 years ago, it was 2013 in Tucson, Arizona. And I finally got the, got the invite to try out for the national team. And man, I was dogging myself. I'm too fat. I don't have a expensive enough bike, all this negative self-talk and doubt. And then I was there and seeing all these people that looked way better than me. And I was like, oh my gosh, but I decided, no, I'm going to give everything I had. I got, I made the last spot on the team. And I think the reason is sort of that vision. It's like, I just had that vision. It's like, no, 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 I'm going to do this despite all the things that are against me. I'm, I'm going to do it. And then that propelled, that gave me the passion. That gave me the energy to make that team. I've been on the team for 10 years now since making the team, usually last place uh, every time, but I make the team. And so it's like, you got to have that vision that keeps you like engaged to eat right, to train right, all that kind of stuff. So that's the other thing that I learned. So vision, serving others, and think of yourself as an athlete in your career. I love that, Ed. Thank you so much. And I, I also really like having sort of like a personal strategy. It seems like you have a a, a set of yes. like where where do I want to go as an individual, and that's gonna that's gonna carry me forward in my leadership. Uh, and I, I don't without wanting to overshare, I just have to say that that you really do walk the walk because I've seen I follow you on LinkedIn and I've seen people say how do you have time and you know we're we're joking in the intro reading your bio that you have a clone and all this stuff but when we were supposed to do this recording session with you uh, a few days back, you said you know what I've got a really important personal thing coming up and and I need to push this by a couple of days. Does that work for you and Elliot? And and I I think so what I would add to your your wisdom is is advocate for yourself and for your needs within that strategy, right? And you did a really, really good job of that because you can't do it all. And sometimes you have to you have to reprioritize, right? Yeah. Just like in the C suite. So kudos Ed. <laughs> yeah, I made my wife happy. That was my anniversary. So uh <laughs> we weren't going to be the ones to 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 mess that up for you, my friend. But it's tech it to the limit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the right? eagles might show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to tech you to the doghouse if you. Right. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. Ed, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for the time today. We we appreciate you bringing your immense history and knowledge and sharing that with us today. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll see you soon at something. You're always doing something. So I'm sure we'll find some way to connect with you. Yeah, I feel very blessed to be part of your show. I really encourage people to to listen to Tech It to the Limit with Sarah and Elliot. Thanks again for having me. What a joy. Yeah, it's great to, great to talk to you, Ed. Thank you so much for joining. And we're out. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Attention, hospital C-suite. Are you sick and tired of spiraling strategy retreats, paralysis by SWOT analysis, and uncertainty about what the digital future holds for your health system? Fret no more. Introducing the Strategy Sphere, your very own sassy 
healthcare industry crystal ball. Like a magic eight ball for leaders with a capital L, the Strategy Sphere is here to help solve your next C-suite crisis. Unsure whether to invest in a hospital at home program or another operating room suite? Just ask the Strategy Sphere. But don't expect groveling deference or groupthink. It will likely just tell you to try again when you're not afraid of innovation. Wondering how to tackle the rising cost of care? Ask the Sphere and give it a healthy shake. But beware, the Sphere isn't on your payroll and therefore isn't paid to stroke your ego. It will likely respond to your budget belt tightening woes with a quip like, have you tried not overpaying your executives? Ouch. Trying to navigate the dark labyrinth of regulatory red tape plaguing your organization's revenue cycle? The strategy sphere's got your back, or at least your funny bone. Cutting through your legislative-induced headache with witty whimsies like, compliance is key, but so is common sense. Use both sparingly. And for those moments when you're pondering whether to expand your physical or digital footprint, the sphere will sarcastically remind you that Rome wasn't built in a day and neither is a digital front door. Visit strategy.sphere and use the promo code WISECRACK for a 13% discount and a free lapel pin. Because when you're in the corner office, everything's free. The Strategy Sphere is a novelty item solely for entertainment purposes. It should not replace sound judgment, but it may surprise you by one-upping your VP of business development. Impact on your bottom line may vary. Laughter guaranteed. What should I do next playbook sold separately? Welcome back, folks, to Tech It to the Limit. Wow, what a great conversation that was. Thank you so much to Ed Marks for joining us. He brought so many different experiences to the conversation over his storied career, Sarah, and, and brought a lot of nuggets to the table. I'm sure that you might have snacked on a few. I'm kind of curious, what kind of nuggets did you hear? Oh, man, I'm so ready to dig into these nuggets. Yeah, thank you so much for serving that up for me, Elliot. I, I have three sizable nuggets that I wanted to share. I, I It sounds corny, you know, a little bit dated, maybe like 90s fashion, but I think still an excellent, excellent point. Streamlined governance. This is something that, you know, especially as we move towards more agility in our organizations, I think we want to make sure we don't lose the key decision-making capabilities up in the C-suite. So I loved his example of elevating the IT initiative leadership to the C-suite level. So your accountables are your CEO and your CIO. And that drives not only accountability and alignment with strategy, but also transparency throughout the initiative. So I love that. Also that like tech is never the reason for success or failure when it comes to patient patient experience but it can be an accelerator for either. Um, that was an excellent insight. And, and that's true, like tech often gets blamed for poor experiences and sometimes it's on point, right? But if you have a lack of positive patient experience in your organization, tech's just gonna shine a bright light on that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated that sort of teasing out, those are two separate problems that that you need to address in your organization. And part of the whole patient experience thing is really, you know, sexy, as we know from our previous fashion show, uh, <laughs> is that the digital front door is like all the rage, you know, everyone's got their digital front door strategy. But what often gets overlooked is the digital back door. And I loved that nugget that it really 
we have this digital front door. It's like an on-ramp to get into our businesses if we're provider organizations. And then we forget, like, how are we taking patient care of patients after they go home, right? And at the core of that, it's a business model issue, right? I mean, that's a fee-for-service volume over value type of operational model. And so as the industry moves towards more value-based agreements, I am hopeful that those digital backdoors will become a table stakes, you know, strategy when it comes to to delivering value. Right. Well, they're going to they're going to be the ones that are going to reduce your costs exactly. in the long run mm-hmm. and improve your outcomes. A- exactly. Mm-hmm. So there those things will become key. I thought I think that's a really tasty nugget that you found about the tech never being the reason for patient experience failure or or success. I I also heard him say that empathy trumps programs Mm. with respect to patient experience, which I thought was really interesting and and important to keep in mind. And, And he stressed how you can still have these very vertical positive experiences that you're providing to your patients, but are lacking in a horizontal, seamless experience for your patients across either different business units or different parts of that process, like you said, on the digital backdoor, mm. right? And I think that's one of those areas where the wrong tech or bad tech can highlight or shine a light on that lack of horizontal experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which then will trump anything you try and do with your vertical positive experience. That's what will leave the sour taste in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. No, I think a classic example is like you have one experience for patients on your app and you have another experience for your remote patient monitoring program and another for your advanced care at home. You know, you're using different vendors for every single uh, point on the care continuum. And that creates a siloed patient experience from a tech perspective, right? But it's easier said mm-hmm. than done to integrate all of those. <laughs> and I think it's sure. just going to take time no, absolutely. for the, the industry to mature and offer more um, products within one portfolio. No disrespect to Ed, but like like a lot of the things he talked about were easier said than done. Right. Oh, yeah. He's a visionary <laughs> for sure. And and um, and we need we need that guidepost, right? We need something to reach for, right? But absolutely kind of like executing on the strategic vision, as he knows from a lot of experience, takes time, takes resources. But I appreciate his optimism. And I'm sure as a leader of organizations, he's very inspiring, lighting the fire uh, under that strategy. Last nugget, I'll keep it brief. In the spirit of Fashion Week, <laughs> uh, I love that he wove in some some fashion advice, talking about, you know, as an organization, innovation is essentially a strategic imperative. You need to innovate or you're going to die. So therefore, you should make innovation part of people's job descriptions. You should make it into the culture. Consider having it as one of your core values. It's one of ours here on Tech It to the Limit. Um, but how this ties into fashion is he was this, he gave us some really helpful advice, which is you can't be innovative if you're not innovative. So stop using paper boarding passes, stop wearing ties from the 1990s and black socks, right? I mean, you gotta, you gotta kind of walk the walk, talk the talk and dress the part. And that includes trying out being an early adopter of tech solutions outside of the healthcare industry, because they will eventually be coming for us once they get through the red tape. Uh, so those yeah. are my nuggets. Yeah, I think those are great nuggets. Really tasty. I mean, yeah, he did say, right? I mean, if you're if you're still stuck in those big lapel suits, how innovative are you really? I mean, like, he makes judgments like that, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. 
So uh, my nuggets, I had some tasty nuggets, some some crunchy things to, to snack on for a bit. He came out of the gate with something that really struck me. I thought that his description of focusing on digital health and digital health innovation from the perspective of operations, clinical and digital as three strands of rope to be intertwined together being much stronger than any, in, any individual piece. We talked about virtual care and the delivery of virtual care just recently and the success of it was one of those examples where all three of those finally kind of started to come together. Mm. Um, when we were first trying to do a lot of virtual care, you know, we had the clinical and the digital, but maybe not the operations. And we were trying to launch these virtual care programs that mimicked an in-person workflow. Oh, yeah. And it just didn't and it didn't work it wasn't able to scale properly but when we started to really get operations on board now we're seeing like virtual care programs are very much starting to be the norm because we've really started to break through a lot of that so i thought three strands of rope much stronger that's something that you can put in your pipe and smoke <laughs> <laughs> what is it the frontier <laughs> That's something that you can strap to a carabiner and climb a mountain with. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yours is much more um, metaphorical than mine was. Well, you know, it's 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 really sticking with that yeah, yeah. rope metaphor. Really, so really trying to stick with it. What other nuggets did you nosh on, Sir Elliot? <laughs> um, I thought his comments around developing trusted partnerships between provider and healthcare delivery net organizations and industry and, and vendors as being critical to the advancement of innovation in, in, in organizations. He really challenges the traditional notion of both seeing each other as necessary evils, right? The industry sees the providers as a necessary evil to do business and make money. And, you know, providers see the vendors traditionally as this necessary evil because they have this thing that I need in order to do my business, right? And there's this antagonism that often comes up when you when you have that, when you're coming at it from that mindset. So moving to, toward a trusted partnership is a trend that I think that we're seeing in the industry. Every, all, you know, healthcare provider organizations are talking about how they're looking for a partner that will grow with them and grow with their programs. And I think that's really music to industry's ears because it makes them more sticky with their customers. And you can really see them embracing this kind of concept because all of their salespeople are now called director of healthcare partnerships, mm, yeah, right? Or provider partnerships or something like mm -hmm. that, right? So you, you can see it in their nomenclature now. So that was on point. My last nugget, I, I think I can certainly relate to is this idea that humble leadership is necessary across the board to advance digital transformation within an organization. It can't just be one champion of digital transformation kind of going, you know, sally forth and and drive the change when people still get stuck in their fiefdoms and aren't humble enough to say, "Oh, this is this is something that we should look into because they fear that they may lose something or may be seen differently for not having already implemented it in their fiefdom, etc. So the advice to relinquish thy fiefdoms, right. I think is important. And don't be afraid of people that challenge that mindset or the status quo. When you're looking for people to challenge and looking to hire people that may challenge, look for people that have been fired. Yeah, but ask them why. <laughs> Yeah, but ask them why, but hire people that have been fired. And I, that really resonates with me. I think that you should definitely hire people that have been fired in the past. Yeah. 
No, those are great nuggets, Elliot. It's important that that we all come out of our fiefdoms and, you know, we can each individually commit to professional development, leadership development, but it's that's the one thing I can control, right? Is is my own actions and words and how I live into my values and my organization's values. So it's it's mm-hmm. a, it's a complex issue. I, I am so appreciative of his point. But again, I think it's it's easier said than done. And what leaders can control is the culture of their teams and the culture of their organizations. So it's a business case for having a healthy culture at work as well, where people feel safe, yeah. right, to relinquish their fiefdom. Okay. Hey, I think that wraps up our tasty nugget noshing session, Elliot. It does. And I'm full. I bet our, I bet our listeners are as well. <laughs> Speaking of our listeners, wanted to remind you all that we are on LinkedIn. You can follow us on LinkedIn. We love it when people comment um, on our posts. And we love you even more when you share it to your network because that really helps the algorithms. Speaking of algorithms, please leave us a review wherever you you pod. And certainly, word of mouth still is, is very, very helpful. So tell a friend if you love the show. Tell a frenemy if you don't love it. Just tell someone. Elliot, do you want to send us off with our health tech haiku? I would love to, Sarah, for in honor of our last podcast for the season. Be still my heart. Sinking with Sarah in a podcast bite dance. Health tech's new rhythm. Ooh, I like that. I like the dance. All right, Elliot, in honor of our six... No, seven episodes together. Been mm-hmm. a fun ride. Um, I asked Generative AI to create this haiku for you. Tech Talks with Elliot. Heartbeats sink in podcast fun. Health bites. Friendship one. <laughs> oh, so wonderful. Thank you, listeners. We will see you next season. Thank you so much. See you next season. See you next season. Tech Into the Limit is produced by Sarah Harper and Elliot Wilson in consultation with ChatGPT because they are masochists and also don't have any sponsors yet music was composed by the world famous court minstrel Evan O'Donovan to consume more hilarious and informative content about digital transformation in healthcare Visit us online at techitothelimit.fun. And don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and across the event horizon. See you next time on Tech It to the Limit.